Sermon number 581, Paths to Prosperity, preached in the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown on Sunday, September 19, 1971. The text is Psalm 1, the third verse. In all that he does, he prospers. Psalm numbered one. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, a tree that yields its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Perhaps for you, like me, this psalm has been a favorite for many, many years. And it is a psalm which I think answers a very fundamental question and longing in the heart of practically every one of us, if not all. Everyone you see in our society wants to be a somebody, and nobody wants to be a nobody. And I get from this psalm that that particular attitude or attempt or philosophy is good. There's nothing wrong with it. And the Bible expects us to be somebodies in the sight of God. And the Bible even goes further that tells us how we can be prosperous and, quote, successful, end of quote. The Bible's contention, as I say it, is that any, any individual, regardless of what the world thinks of him in terms of success or failure, can be prosperous in the purest and truest sense of the word. Now, of course, we have to define our terms when we say something as broad as that. What is prosperity? Needless to say, the Bible never thinks of prosperity as being determined by ledger sheets, big and beautiful and expensive buildings, nor does it think of prosperity in terms of your bank account or mine, nor does it think of this as being the amount of power an individual or an institution controls. Now, these are things that the Bible calls other than prosperity. But rather like the psalmist here in the first psalm, prosperity or a prosperous person is to be compared with a tree. <laughs> That's right, you heard me. Prosperity is like a tree. 
A tree that is planted by the streams of water, a tree which bears its fruit in its season, a, a tree whose leaf never withers. It's beautiful, isn't it? I wish we knew what it meant. Sometimes we get so involved with the beauty of the words that we don't quite understand what it is that the writer, being inspired by God, is trying to tell us. We of the Western world who are used to thinking in the abstract, it's hard for us to grasp the meaning of, of the Hebrew way of speaking, which is in concrete, earthy, descriptive, unrestricted words. And here may I add, perhaps put in a plug for the Bethel series, you, in that series we'll learn how to think Hebrew. Because you see, you'll never understand the meaning of this psalm, any psalm, or all of the Old Testament unless you begin to think like a Hebrew. And when you think Hebrew in the context of this particular first psalm, you begin to see like the Hebrew who knows what a tree planted by the streams of water means, you see it like that individual as being a very descriptive way of speaking about a man who has a purpose in life. A tree that is planted, you see, does not plant itself. A tree that is planted, that is set down at a particular place by the rivers or the streams of water, is something that has been put there, placed purposefully by some power and some genius greater than itself. It has been so situated by a mind greater than itself. So the Hebrew would know, you see, that when the psalmist is talking by a tree that is planted by the beautiful streams of water, this refers to an individual who knows and believes with all of his heart that he has been placed in this particular part of God's geography, God's wonderful world, by a mind, by a will, by a plan greater than himself. And though it may not be for a long time until he finds out what that purpose is, the prosperous man is the individual who believes in God's providence, who believes that he is not an accident to this world, that he just didn't blow in like the chaff driven by a strong wind, but rather that he is here on this earth in this particular area of geography because this is where God has chosen to place him in this exciting period of history. That's prosperity. When you know that God has a purpose for setting you down right where you are now. The Hebrew puts it so well when he says that prosperity is like a tree that yields its fruit in its season. The 
prosperous man, you see, is an individual who knows that he is not just planted here by God, but he's planted here for a purpose, and that purpose is to yield the distinctive fruit which he is capable of through the limitations and the powers of ability which God has put in you, a unique individual. You know that. And when you know that you are a gifted individual, no matter what combination of limitations and abilities are encompassed within your personality and body, you are prosperous. When you know that you are here to bear fruit, good fruit, fruit that abides, fruit that helps solve the world's problems, fruit that helps, not hinders. See, you never have to say to a fruit tree this time of the year, okay, bear fruit. A fruit tree knows why it's here. And give it time, in its season, it brings forth fruit. And we're all happy. We count on that fruit, and we like it, and sometimes feel it's necessary for the futurement of all mankind. An individual doesn't perhaps every day, but in a season, according to the proper time, he yields forth those fruits which his unique personality can only give to this world. And when an individual knows that he has been planted by God on this particular earth, and he has the ability to yield fruit, He's prosperous. For a prosperous person, you see, is like a tree that is not only planted by the rivers of water, not only one that yields its fruit in its season, but it is also that tree whose leaf does not wither. What a beautiful, descriptive, yet uniquely Hebraic way of expressing influence that will live on and on and on and on. You see, a, a, fruit, a tree that is no longer bearing fruit, yet whose leaf does not wither. This is the tree, you see, that even though it is not productive or has ceased to be productive, it still has its presence in the world today, and that world knows its influence. Prosperity, you see, is when you know in your mind that what you are doing today or what you are not doing, what you are saying or what you are not saying, will have lasting effects unto generations yet unborn. Your labor, you see, is not in vain, and that long after you leave this earth and you per quit producing fruit, your works will live long after you. Isn't that exciting? That the things that I say today, or the things that you do today, will have an effect upon the grandchildren of those individuals who are represented by those roses here this morning. That's frightening and thrilling to realize that our leaf shall not wither and it will have its effect upon the tenth generation yet unborn. 
And when a man knows that, you see, he's prosperous. So this is why we say, regardless of what the world calls you in terms of success or failure, in the sight of God, you can be prosperous if you have these qualities for prosperity. Regardless of the thing in this life that you're trying to do, maybe it fails or maybe it succeeds. That makes no difference. You can still be prosperous. In the Revised Standard Version, which was read in your hearing today, it, it does not say, as many people think it does, that whatsoever I do shall prosper. Oh, no. Whatsoever you do may fail, but you can prosper even though it fails. In all that you do, you prosper. You. Well, how do you find this prosperity? How do I get it? What are the paths that lead to it? According to the writer of this same psalm, you'll never find this prosperity by following along the way or taking the advice or the counsel of the ungodly or the wicked. <laughs> How can you? How can you find what purpose you have in life by listening to the counsel of an individual who doesn't believe that he has a purpose in life? The wicked or the ungodly. Who are they? They are people who either disbelieve in God or, even worse yet, ignore that he even lives. They make plans. They have all sorts of schemes. They get all types of techniques to earn a living, but they forget that God is the one who created them and who brought them into this earth and who every day gives them power even to be able to pronounce a syllable or to lift a hand or to walk a step. People who are not interested in God's good earth, but only their own little domain. That's all that counts. When you walk in their counsel, no matter how successful the world may call them, you will eventually perish because the wicked always perish. That's God's rule, not mine. Nor will you find prosperity by standing in the way of the sinners, the unredeemed people. You can't. How can you learn anything about bearing fruit from an unredeemed sinner, an individual who doesn't care really what kind of fruit he's bearing here on earth? You know, that's really what a sinner is. An individual who just doesn't care what he does, what he says, what effect he has on other people. He doesn't care whether or not he's bearing good fruit or bad fruit. The only thing a sinner is interested in is how much fruit he can get and take to himself. You learn that in Genesis 3. That was the problem, you know, with first man who is down here on the face of the earth and the sin of every man is when we try to get fruit, especially that fruit that is forbidden. Now, you don't, you don't learn prosperity from the wicked nor from the sinner, nor do you learn it by sitting in the seat with the scoffers. How can you? How can you learn about influence 
and about destiny and about the future of the world and the importance of your conduct today being upon the tomorrows of all creation from individuals who are not interested in the tomorrows and that's what a scoffer is he's not interested in the tomorrows or building up the tomorrows he's interested only in tearing down the todays he'll never tell you what's right only what's wrong a cynic, you know, is a scoffer, and Oscar Wilde was so right when he says a cynic is an individual who knows the price of everything and the value of nothing. You'll never learn prosperity from a person who can see more through a cobwebbed keyhole than the rest of the world can see through plate glass windows. You never learn from a man who thinks negatively anything about prosperity, only about defeat. Well then, where, where do I learn to be prosperous? Where do I learn those eternal truths which can help me to realize that no matter what happens to me in life, I am prosperous? You learn them through meditation the thought process which takes place in the mind and in the heart. That's where you find it. The path to prosperity begins with meditation, the control of the mind and the heart. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. This is where it all begins and yes, really, this is where it all ends. As the Hebrew says, by meditating on the law of the Lord, both day and night, which is the Hebrew way of saying continuously. This is where it is. By finding, finding a delight upon the law of the Lord and meditating on that day and night. This is where you find prosperity. I am fully convinced, ladies and gentlemen, with many, many who have traveled before me and many who will follow, that an individual in this earth can never learn the secret of prosperity until first he has learned to control the process of thought. And perhaps the hardest thing in the world to do is to bring our thoughts under the subjection of the will. It's a lot harder than to try and control your tongue, yet we learn to control our tongues and not to say everything we would like to say, don't we? For the sake of friendship, in the name of love, because of business associates, many times we, we, we just smile and we don't say what we would really like to say. Hence, we do learn to control our lips, and we control these hands, too, don't we? Society, with its mores and with its laws and with its customs, restricts us from doing things that perhaps our mind would like us to do. But it's so hard to control the thoughts, and basically because many of us think that because the thoughts always are transacted in an area of secrecy, in an area which cannot be seen. We think we are 
free and at liberty to think whatever we want to think, and nothing could be further than from the truth than that. Many of us think we can think anything, as long as we don't say anything and do anything to give those thoughts away, we're all right. But we're not. Remember Jesus said, there is nothing hidden that shall not be revealed. Our Lord himself said that. And many people think, oh yes, well that's probably true, and on the day of judgment all secrets are going to be revealed. But I'm not quite sure our Lord had that long range of a playing program in mind when he said that. I think he was thinking closer to the present than just the far distance of judgment. And I think because being the Son of Man and knowing everything that is in man, he was trying to tell us that whatsoever we brood on, whatsoever things we constantly think about and ponder and meditate upon, these things without uttering a single syllable nor clothing those ideas in any flesh and blood deeds, those meditations will somehow escape from our being and come out in attitudes which will affect other people like a poisonous vapor or like a breath of spring. You've been in the presence of people, have you not? When they didn't have to say a word, yet you knew really what they were thinking. This is true. And an individual who is always thinking upon those things that are unclean, thinking the thoughts of the wicked, of the sinner, of the scoffer, thinking those things which are negative and wrong and ugly, eventually, whether we are conscious of it or not, we're going to reveal that kind of thinking through our actions and through our attitudes and through our philosophies. Yet on the other hand, if we are people who meditate on the law of the Lord day and night, if we think upon those things that are true and honorable and just and lovely and pure and gracious, if we think on those things that are excellent, and if we think on those things of praise, those things that deserve honor. Then we have the promise that the God of peace, and here may I add, the God of prosperity, will be with us. See, it's all up here. And because we have the law of the Lord in the Bible, because we are people, people capable of meditation, you can be prosperous if you want. For the path to prosperity begins for you in your mind. That's where it ends, too. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh, Father God, help us to think the right thoughts. Help us to do the right deeds. And through thy word and our meditation upon it, help us to be the right people.
And now, to him who by the power at work within us is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, to, who, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen.